Tonight we'll talk about uh, hell and kind of its environments and the pains of hell and those sorts of things, which is not a cheery subject, but it is a subject nonetheless that the Bible is crystal clear about. And so we want to make sure that we take the time to look at it, examine it. Next week, we are starting a study called the Emmaus Road. And I have never been more excited for a series, maybe in my entire time of, of, of teaching here. What we're going to do, starting next week, we are going to take every single book of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, and I will, next week, look at the book of Genesis and you're getting one week, one week, to get an overview of the book of Genesis. We're going to look at not all of Genesis, obviously, because I can't even read the book of Genesis in the time I'll have. All right, but we're going to look at the main theme of Genesis and how it fits overall into the entirety of Scripture. And then the very next week, Mr. Drew gets one week just one week to give you an overview of the book of Exodus. We're going to do that with every single book of the Bible as we walk through. Yes, sir. So does that mean we're doing like the Wednesday and Sunday night? Mm-mm. That's just Wednesdays. Just Wednesdays. Sunday nights, after this week, we're going to break for the summer because we've got a busy summer schedule on Sunday nights uh, on this Bible study. But we will start back, and what we will probably do, I will announce on Sunday nights. So I've got a plan in mind for Mr. Johnny and I. Yes, sir. Wednesday nights will not end. They will take breaks because there'll be times when, like, we're doing VBS, you know, or, or at kids' camp or in Eagle Sky. But we will not be, we'll keep going rolling. Yes, sir. Uh, will we be tested on this YouTube? Yes. There will be a test, and if you fail, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, it's even worse than that, pal. It's even worse than that. All right. You and your long hair will be condemned in a way that you don't want to sense people. Let me read to you the verse that's going to kind of launch us into our study. This is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. It is on your study guide. It just says this, and this is Jesus talking, by the way. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a terrible thing to think of. When you think of gnashing teeth, what is it? What comes to your mind? Yeah, kind of a gnawing or a ripping with your teeth. There is a video that was sent to me, and it's, it's awful. I don't recommend watching it all. But you see how... Um, you guys, I'm sure, have seen Discovery Channel and stuff like that where like a lion or some sort of uh, alpha predator will be seeking after its prey. And when it gets it, I mean, the carnage that ensues. There's one that was sent to me of a, of a leopard that gets, into, um, that gets into a house or gets into a backyard, I should say, and it gets, like, it gets its prey. And the security camera sees all of it. And it's... There is gnashing of teeth. And I mean, you see just the grotesque nature of it. When you think of weeping and gnashing of teeth, it does not conjure up good images. But that is the image that is given by Christ himself to describe just a little bit 
of what hell is like. But the Bible gives us other descriptions. It does give us other descriptions. Um, let me kind of break this down for you. Um, Jesus uses the word. This is the first thing on your, on your, your study guide. Jesus uses the word. That is, that is the heaven study. So we need the one on, uh, we need the one, there's a new one, it's eternity, and that one should be labeled eternity heaven. We need the eternity and then the hell study. I got it. All right. Alright, number one on the study guide, Jesus uses the word Gehenna 11 times to describe hell. Gehenna is a Greek word for the valley of Hinnom, okay? So we're going to look up a couple of verses. I need someone to get Matthew 5, 22 and 29. Casey, I saw your hand. I need someone to get Matthew 23, Logan, 33. And then someone get Matthew 10, 28, all right? Y'all see it right there? All right. He uses the word Gehenna 11 times to describe hell. Well, what in the world is Gehenna? All right? Um, read Matthew 5, 22, and 29 for me when, when, as soon as you get there. That we have in that word hell there is from Gehenna. Go ahead and go to uh, verse 29 as well. That word hell is translated from the word Gehenna. All right, 2333. Who had that one? Go ahead and read it for us. You serpents, you brood of sorry, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape the sentence of hell? That word hell again from Gehenna. What about chapter ten, verse twenty eight? Who had that? All right. Gehenna again. This is used to describe hell. We see it in our English translation, hell from Gehenna. What is Gehenna? Like I said, Gehenna is a Greek word for the Valley of Hinnom. So the Valley of Hinnom was a notorious uh, Jewish historical site. About 750 B.C., King Ahaz was ruler of Judah. And he adopted some of the most heathen and awful practices of his day. Among the worst was the offering of human sacrifices. And he even had his own son burned to death. These human sacrifices were carried out in the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. It was located just southwest of Jerusalem. A lot of other wicked kings did that same thing. But when King Josiah came into power after the wickedness 
uh, that was preceded by his father and grandfather and great grandfather and so forth. He singled out the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. He singled it out. He turned it into a public rubbish dump in which all the waste and all the filth of Jerusalem was poured out. Later, the bodies of animals and even corpses of criminals were flung there to rot and to burn. And they kept a fire constantly burning in the rubbish dump to dispose of the stinking mass of garbage. That's the word that Jesus is using to describe hell. It's a place where a fire is constantly going and the rubbish, the, the waste, the bodies of, law, of lawbreakers is thrown there. Number two on the study guide, one of the clearest pictures Jesus gave of hell was that of a prison. And it's a prison like Gehenna. Understand, a prison like the Valley of Hinnom. All right? So someone get Matthew 18, 34, and 35. Who's got that? I need this to be quick. Who's got it? Who's got it? Thank you, Josiah. Luke 12, 57 through 59. Logan. Uh, Aiden, I want you to get Jude 6 and 7. And who's got 2 Peter? Casey, you get 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. All right, this is a prison. Jesus gives the picture of a prison, okay? It's a prison like Gehenna. Remember, Jesus used that term 11 times to describe it. Let's hear Matthew 18, 34 and 35. Handed over to repay every bit of debt that you owe. What is it called when you're thrown into prison? You are paying your debt to society. The same way Christ is using an illustration there saying you'll be handed over to God and you will pay your debt. And since you've committed a crime against God, that's an infinite crime. Therefore, your punishment is infinite. Luke chapter 12, 57 through 59. Who had that one? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer. The officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of here until you pay the very last Understand this, guys. Jesus is giving another illustration here. Oh, it's a prison. This makes sense, right? If we are sinners, then we have broken God's what? Law. Lawbreakers here are sent to where? Prison. It would make sense that God has a prison for lawbreakers against His law. This makes sense. But it's a prison like Gehenna. It's not a prison like with bars. It's a dump. It's a waste where those lawbreakers' bodies are thrown to burn. Other New Testament writers spoke of the lost as being in prison. Jude 6 and 7. Who had that? Go for it. Prison, and not just an eternal prison, 
And then he saw it as an eternal fire like Gehenna. Second Peter 2, 4 through 9. Who had that one? It's an eternal place of judgment. It's a prison. It's a torment. So we've got a couple of illustrations that Christ Himself has given us. A rubbish dump where even the bodies of criminals were thrown to burn. We've got a prison, an eternal prison, one where you will not ever escape. The other New Testament writers write about these things, but the Bible's most frequent description of hell, this is number three, is that of fire. How many of you ever burned yourself before? How many of you ever burned yourself like bad before? Has anybody ever burned yourself bad before? When I was little, when I was little, and this was not a fire, but when I was little, my mom told me not to touch the iron that she left. You know what I did? I touched the iron. You want to know why? Because I was a dummy. Because I am a goober. I touched the iron and it burned. All right? You've got to understand this is a prison that you were thrown into because you are a lawbreaker and because you have wasted everything about your life. You are thrown into this and it describes you in absolute fire. Now, I've been burned by fire before as well. Around campfires, as many as I've made over the years, you can't help it. Every once in a while, you're just going to get burned by a fire or an ember. It doesn't feel good. You start to get the sense of what it feels like when you just get close to the heat of a fire. You start to feel it. Have y'all ever gotten close to the heat of a fire and you, you just had to back away just from standing too close to it? Have you ever held up a string to the end of a fire and you see it start to just melt away the string? The string starts to recoil and burn marks. That's the image here. We're going to look up several verses. Isaiah 66, 24. Who's got it? 
Logan, Matthew, or excuse me, Malachi 4.1, Andre, Matthew 3, 11 through 12, Casey, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, Josiah, Jude 7, uh, Aiden, Revelation 14, 9 and 10. Who's got it? Jonathan. All right. This is the, now these are just these are just a few of the verses that call hell a fire or describe it using fire. But I want you to get the weight of it, okay? This is a prison. It is a prison, not with bars, but it's like a rubbish dump, and it is a place of eternal fire. Isaiah 66, 24, whenever you're there. The fire shall not be quenched. The fire will not be quenched. Malachi 4 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the arrogant and all the rulers will be stubborn. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Say, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Set them ablaze. Matthew 3 11 through 12. Who had Matthew 3? Oh, you got Fire again, talking about his punishment for those who are lawbreakers, unrighteous. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Fire consuming the adversaries. Jude 7. Fire, fire. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. sulfur. Guys, the description of hell is not a cheery one. It's not a happy one. The Bible's most frequent description of hell is that of a fire, but there was something else in uh, number four. The Bible also describes a worm creating torment. Do you remember what, do you remember uh, the verse, I think it was you who read it, Logan. You remember it said a worm. Also read, who, I want someone to read Mark 9, 48. Who's got that? Mark 9, 48. Aiden, go for it. 
That's an interesting thought. When we think of worm, what do you think of? Yeah, you think of earthworms, right? You think of going fishing maybe or something along those lines. That's not the kind of worm that we're talking about. In ancient times, sometimes, well, and even in, even in our literature we'll have today, uh, in The Hobbit, uh, a, a, a book which is obviously just a fantasy, it describes a dragon as a worm. Smog is described as a worm. That's not the imagery yet there, or that's not the imagery there either. So what is this worm? Mark 9, 48. Read it for us when you get there. Where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. What is this worm? What is it? Well, so far as the vital clue all right, I think about what this means seems to be in the different way he spoke of the fire and the worm. Notice he does not speak of the worm like he says the fire. He says their worm. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This suggests it's a part of their suffering that is internal rather than something that is external happening to them. When we looked at being thrown into the dump, that's an external thing. When we looked at the prison, that's an external thing that you're, that you're put into. The fire, that's an external pain. This worm is their worm. Thomas Vincent put it this way, not only will the unbeliever in hell be in hell, but hell will be in him too. If this is the case, it suggests that the worm refers to a sinner's conscience. In hell, the wicked will have a capacity for suffering far beyond any they have on earth, and where their consciences, and there their consciences will be their worst tormentors. Conscience will make the sinner aware that he deliberately freely and gladly chose the lifestyle that led him to hell. They'll finally face the truth that they deserve all of this. And there will be no rest day or night. There's no way you can sleep. There's no way you can breathe easy. You're in absolute torment day and night revelation 14 11 tells us and your conscience is constantly telling you you chose this this is what you wanted this was your desire closely linked to the truth that the conscience will endlessly gnaw at a sinner's soul is the shame and the contempt they'll have, every evil deed and missed opportunity will be remembered and cause endless remorse and shame. Sinners in hell will have company, but they will have, they'll, they'll, they'll be others in, the, in hell, but they'll have no sympathy because all those in hell will be suffering the same thing and will realize exactly what they've done. Number five. The single greatest factor that makes hell to be hell is the presence of God. Now hold on a minute. Wait. Stop. Pump the brakes. 
Let's quit right there. You're saying that the presence of God is in hell. Hold on a moment. God's in heaven. What on earth do you mean to tell me that He is in hell? I mean to tell you that the Bible tells us the presence of God is in hell. Someone uh, bravely read Isaiah chapter 30, verses, or verse 33 for me. The breath of who kindles it? The breath of the Lord kindles the fire. The breath of the Lord kindles the fire. For those of you who've made a campfire before, a lot of times you get the ashes going and you get down low and you put your mouth close to it and what do you do? You blow on it. Why? Because it kindles the flames. Mm -hmm. It brings the flames up. And for us, we understand that it's because we add oxygen to it. For hell, the breath of the Lord brings the wrath. The single greatest factor that makes hell to be hell is the presence of God. Why is that a good thing? I thought God was good. Why would He be in hell? Why could He be there? Why would He be there? Why? Why do you think, guys? Yeah. That's right. It's sin against Him. So it is right that He would do the punishment. What were you going to say, Logan? So, something very similar to that. That's right. He's the only one who's in the position to do it. It's not going to be the devil poking you with a pitchfork like we've seen all these cartoons. That's not the imagery. No, no, no. The devil is going to be suffering in hell as well for all of eternity. But it will be God who is bringing the wrath. Number six. Hell is not separation from God. If God's in hell, then hell is not separation from God. Someone read Matthew 25, 41. Who wants that one? Um, I'm going to assign it. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew 25, 41. Someone get 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Thank you, Andre, for getting 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. I'm, getting, I'm picking on other people too as well. So, All right, hell is not separation from God. God is there. We, we've discussed before that God is omnipresent, that He's everywhere Already, we've already discussed that. If there was a place that you could go where God was not, then He would not be omnipresent. And He would not be God. God is in hell. Matthew 25, 41. Uh, read that for me when you're there. Okay. Some people will sit there and say, wait a minute, wait, wait. 
Depart from me. Depart from me is what God says there. Depart from me. That means that he's not there. You're being sent to a place where he's not. What about 2 Thessalonians 1.9? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. There are many who sit there and say, wait a moment, hold on. That's not correct. Those verses say that we're departing, that we're away from the presence of the Lord. But hell is not separation from God in the way that we think of separation. When we think of separation, this is the way we think of it. In about an hour, I'm going to be separated from all of you. I'll be at my home and you'll be at yours. I'll be separated from you. That's the way that we think of separation. That's not the way the Bible talks about separation. We tend to think of separation in terms of distance. This is number seven. But the Bible speaks of it in terms of relationship. You see, there's a big difference in the way we think of separation versus the way the Bible talks about separation. The relationship that you have with God right now will be severed and cut off the moment you enter into hell. What do we know about the relationship of God with us right now? I'll tell you what relationship we have with God right now. Every single one of you just breathed in air and God gave it to you. Every single one of you had your heart beat right now and God made it beat. Every single one of us right now is sitting in this room under the grace and goodness of God. That is our relationship with Him. But when we are departed from Him, when we are away from Him, we're not removed from His presence in terms of distance. No, we're removed from His grace. Try living without breath given to you. Try living without your heart thumping in your chest. You can't do it. And that will be the relationship you have with God. You will have none of that grace and yet you will endure eternity there. Yeah. Yeah, because you because it says there'll be immense darkness there. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is darkness. I did not cover that in this. There is. Uh, there's a lot more notes I can give you later on, but it does talk about the darkness of. And some people say, well, if there's fire there, how can there be darkness? Because fire brings light. If you guys ever, I'll tell you a story real quick, very very quickly. When I was. Um, a little boy, there was a fire, a grease fire that started in my house, okay? And, and my parents rushed me out of the house and, and ran me outside. And before we got out there, the house, which it was in the middle of the day, all right, and there's a fire blazing, the house got pitch black. Do you want to know why it got pitch black? Because the smoke filled the house so quickly you couldn't see anything. It was pitch black in there. It's a terrifying thing to think that, that that's the fire of hell. Last, number eight, but certainly not least, the presence of God will be as real to the lost as to the saved. Someone open up to Deuteronomy 4.24. Who wants that? Casey. 
Uh, Hebrews 12, 29, Andre, Nahum 1, 6, Josiah, Jeremiah 4, 4. Anthony, you want that one? Understand this, guys, that hell is not separation from God. Yes, you depart from Him. Yes, you're away from the presence of the Lord, but it's not distance. You're away from the relationship you have with Him. And those that are in hell who are lost and will eternally suffer in that place, they will feel the presence of God just as real and just as powerfully as those who are in heaven. Deuteronomy 4.24 He is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. There it is again. He is a consuming fire. Nahum 1, 6. Indignation. Yeah, that's okay. It describes God as the fire. Jeremiah 4 4. That's the wrath of God will burn like a fire. There's a reason why hell is described most like a fire. It's because God's there. Because His anger is burning. He is a consuming fire. I don't want anyone to go there. Sadly, I'm fearful that I have been to too many funerals where that was the eternal place of the person who's passed. And they're there if they did not trust in Christ. Guys, don't sweep this under the rug. I'm going to end with this story because it's going to highlight the reality that people go there. When I was, um, at, I was the, the youth pastor at another church, long, this is a long time ago, um, one of the men there, man, a man that I respect, uh, he had a, a beautiful family, wonderful family, but his mom, his mom was awful. His mom lived a lifestyle that was wicked and depraved, and she was unashamed of every evil thing that she did. And because of that, this man who I respected said, Mom, I cannot let you be around my children. So the mom in her grief decides, well, maybe I should clean up my life a little bit. And one of the things she was going to do, she had a very wicked friend who she hung out with. It was, an, it was another lady. Uh, and, uh, but she was not altogether there. She met her in the food giant parking lot in Pinson. Some of you may be old enough to remember this story. Met her in the food giant parking lot in Pinson to say, hey, our friendship needs to be over. I need to be with my grandkids. Our relationship needs to be done. And the woman shot her and killed her in the food giant parking lot. At the funeral. 
all of her children stood up and they made statements about what it was like to live with mama. And uh, it went from oldest to youngest. And the man who I knew was the youngest, so he was going to go last. His older sister got up before him and she says some uh, stories about her mom. But the last thing she ends with is, I just know that mama's dancing with angels in heaven right now. That was her statement. My friend gets up with tears in his eyes and he says this, I don't know how much dancing mama's doing right now because mama did not trust in Christ and mama, there is no certainty, there's no reason why we should believe that she's in heaven right now. And if she's not in heaven, then she is in a place of eternal torment and torture. Hell is real. We don't need to, just because we live in the Bible Belt, brush it under the rug and say, oh, it's just something for other people. No, it's for you. And it's for me, if not for the blood of Christ. We pray, and then you guys are going to have opportunity to worship. And if there's questions, the adults in the room will be happy to field some of those. Most gracious Holy Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, God, for even the reality of hell, that we know that, that evil will be vanquished, it will be destroyed, that your wrath will be poured out against it. Father, I pray for the students here that they would trust in you, that, Father, that they would desire you, that, Father, they would desire to be in your presence in heaven and in grace, that, Father, maybe a lesson like this would be something to consider that there's only one place to find grace and salvation. It's in your Son. I pray all these things in His name and for His sake. Amen.